You are now listening to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, episode 46, Vistopia with vegan psychologist Claire Mann. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder Podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. We're back for another one. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder podcast. We are your hosts, Sarah and Christopher. Christopher. Happy to have you guys with us on this one. We have been wanting to get Claire Mann, vegan psychologist based out of Australia, on our podcast for since probably like November, and we're extremely excited that she was able to come on so early. But before we dive into her bio and the cool things that she's up to, we want to share a little love note on our iTunes. Share it. By a mystical journey. She left us, or he, left us a review that says, a great podcast full of wonderful information in all areas of life. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day, mystical journey, and leaving us an iTunes review because that helps us tremendously. Yes, it does. It helps to spread our podcast. And uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but we were just named one of the top five podcasts for mind and consciousness expansion by Collective Evolution. So that was pretty cool. That was really cool. Yes. Super honored to be featured on that. Absolutely. So to leave us a review. You need to go to iTunes. So you can, well, you can do a two spaces now. You can actually go on our newly created Facebook page, type in the Soul and Wonder podcast on Facebook, leave us a review there. You could also go on iTunes. You go on iTunes on your phone, on your computer, and you can search for our podcast by typing in the Soul and Wonder podcast. Once that comes up, you'll see a section for reviews. You click that and you can rate it one to five stars and leave a comment. Yeah, and we'll feature your review on one of our episodes. Yes. Guys, before we get into Claire Man, though, we need to tell you how awesome our Facebook group is thriving, the Soul and Wonder Vegan Warrior Community. We are stoked because it's only been around for a few weeks. We've already got over 255 members. Everybody is extremely supportive of each other. We focus on the holistic approach to one's personal development, meaning mind, body, and soul, and all of our members are ready to make positive change in their life and increase their self-awareness and be awesome vegans vegan warriors that is and for those of you that don't know what a vegan warrior is we define that as one who nurtures the interconnectedness of all life and who routinely trains in the mastery of both the inner and outer dimensions of the self with the goal of operating from a state of clarity harmony and balance so he or she can lead a heart-centered life while in pursuit of creating a more compassionate world and we actually created an easy nine-step method on how to become a vegan warrior so for all those details join our community soul and wonder vegan warrior community on facebook and we have exciting things coming in february we're going to be launching a get out of your own way challenge 
So in this challenge, we'll help you identify the ways that you might be getting in your own way of reaching your goals, success, and overall fulfillment. We'll also help you build strategies to break these self-sabotaging patterns so you can step into your personal power and start paving the way to a better life. So once again, that's in our Soul & Wonder Vegan Warrior community. And this challenge will include... By the way, it's all free. Nine days of guided live videos with the replay posted afterwards. You're going to get worksheets for each day to stimulate creative thinking and reflection. We'll walk you through some visualization exercises to help you get clear on a dream, goal, or desire you want to start working towards reaching now and is in alignment with your core values. Of course, you'll have a free Vegan Warrior training manual. We're going to give you tools to increase awareness on self-sabotaging behaviors, thoughts, and beliefs, and of course, tools to help you overcome them. But the best thing is that you get to interact with others. This is a safe space for you to talk with people, share your vulnerabilities, your fears, your successes, your insights, and it's live so everyone gets to interact on the spot. A really cool thing is that you'll also get a chance to win money off the total cost of our one-on-one Vegan Warrior Total Immersion Coaching Program. So once again, join us at Soul & Wonder Vegan Warrior Community on Facebook and invite any of your vegan friends that are open-minded to the holistic approach to personal development and well-being and are super ready to transform their lives. And if you're curious about the one-on-one coaching program, you can check out more details at www www.soulandwonder.com forward slash total dash immersion. So now that we got that covered, let's get into Claire's bio. Claire Mann is an Australian-based vegan psychologist, best-selling author, and passionate animal rights advocate. She consults with clients all over the world to help address the personal and social challenges of being vegan, living in a non-vegan world. And we all know how that is. It could be quite difficult. She runs public and in-house training programs in communication, team building, ethical leadership, and regularly appears on TV in, in the press. She has authored and contributed to numerous books. Her latest book, Communicate, How to Say What Needs to Be Said When It Needs to Be Said in the Way It Needs to Be Said, <laughs> has international acclaim with forward written by U.S. presidential advisor Doug Weed. She is an editor-in-chief of the digital business magazine, Ethical Features, Conversations That Matter, which champions initiatives that are profitable and successful without abusing people, the environment, or animals. She is the co-founder of the Vegan Voices smartphone app, a free 30-day video training with tools and techniques to respond to typical communication challenges faced by vegans, as well as resources to support the information they share. She is co-contributor to the Sydney Vegan 30-Day Vegan Challenge, the books Plant-Powered Women and Everyday Vegans, and regular contributor to numerous vegan magazines. Her next book, Vistopia, The Anguished Vegan's Face, Living in a Non-Vegan World, will be out in early 2018, and I am stoked for that one. She provides face-to-face and online training to help vegans and animal advocates communicate more effectively and animal welfare organizations collaborate for increased 
effectiveness. Claire Mann is up to a lot of good stuff. Badass. She's doing some <laughs> awesome stuff. Incredible woman. And to give you a little bit of a play-by-play of what to expect in this interview, we're going to start it off with a short discussion on the importance of vegan professionals uniting together in a space of support and contribution rather than competition so that we can better serve the vegan community as a whole rather than coming from the mindset of scarcity. We're going to dive deeper into the word Claire coined herself, Vistopia, which is is an existential crisis experienced by vegans arising out of an awareness of the translate collusion with a dystopian world and the awareness of the greed, ubiquitous animal exploitation, and speciesism in a modern dystopia. So we're going to talk to Claire about her story of how this word came to be, the common struggles vegans face regarding dystopia, and how vegan advocacy and activism is being negatively affected by this. It's something we really need to discuss. But I like how we end the podcast episode because we're going to jump into the future and explore Claire's beautiful vision for the world, as well as get info on the release of her new book we mentioned before. So, oh, that was a lot. That was a lot. But we are excited to give you this interview and, of course, stick around to the end for your health tip of the episode. All right, let's do it. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are now here with psychologist Claire Mann. Claire, we are thrilled to have you on the show. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. So we're obviously going to get into the subject of Vistopia because I know that's what a lot of our listeners want to dive into, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But I'd like to ask you something first out of sheer curiosity. So throughout our journey of becoming personal development coaches for vegans, we've realized how much support the plant-based and vegan community has had when it comes to those, of course, interested in transitioning to that plant-based or vegan lifestyle. But we've only really met like maybe two or three other people besides ourselves and you that work in the space with people who have already become vegan in some form or fashion. So out of curiosity, what prompted you to focus your psychology within the established vegan community? Well, of course, I am a vegan and a telling witness to the whole um, both challenges and um, wonderful opening up of consciousness and health and, and wonderful things like that. But I guess it was something I had to respond to because increasingly, the more I got out there and started talking in animal activist groups or campaigning or being part of rallies or conferences, um, vegans were coming to me almost in droves and saying, you know, I can't talk to a normal psychologist because if they really Really understood my plight, um, they would have to be vegan because if they not don't become vegan, they either think, well, you don't agree with what I'm saying, you don't believe me, or you're actually a psychopath. <laughs> and so <laughs> I realized that um, I really needed to come out of the closet. I'd certainly come out of the closet with my own values, but to call myself a vegan psychologist, to give credence to the fact that there is a special psychology attached to our journey and living in a non-vegan world. Mm -hmm. And so I responded to that by calling myself a vegan and then putting in place ways to specifically help the community. I really like that a lot. And and I think that's really important for you to, yourself to establish um, 
yourself as a vegan psychologist because I know that I've posed the question in a lot of different um, areas and social media and so on about, you know, if you were going to work with a psychologist or a coach um, and you're, would you prefer them to be vegan? And I would say 99.9% of them would say yes, considering you do share the same values, the same challenges and so on. So I think that's great that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. There are a lot of, um, I'm sure there are a lot of psychologists out there. There's certainly a lot of counselors who are vegan, but they're afraid to actually say that's what they are. Mm-hmm. They feel for all sorts of reasons, you know, they'd be compromising their objectivity or saying to mm-hmm. the world. And I say to people, you know, there are Christian counselors, there's gay and lesbian counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very important to, you know, position yourself in a way that, it's all, it's impossible actually to put yourself out there in any profession and not say something about who you are. The fact that you've chosen to go into a certain line of work says something about what's important to you and, and, and what you value. Well, and you're defining your niche so people can find you easier that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I'm in the moment is, is coaching a number of counselors around the world who want to call themselves vegans. Wow. And they're realize and I, I'm only too thrilled I wonder I see that there are so many challenges we're facing and the more people on deck we can get working and supporting you know it's only through collaboration we're really going to usher in this brave new compassionate world I love that you said that because it's you know you find competition in a lot of other realms and I feel like this vegan community we're starting to network so much so that we're supporting each other in this movement forward and I think that's only going to benefit the community yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and in fact, competition is something I've always resisted. I say to people, you know, really, there is no competition. You you have to just be creative. You know, there are enough problems in the world to solve. We don't have to scrabble <laughs> around and try and sort of steal it from other people. And I think that's a cause of so many problems in the world is competition and not championing what other people do. And I'm only too happy when people come forward and we can work together, see how much more we can create and solve. And I do think the vegan community has greater um, spirit and values there because, you know, to some extent, it's not about us. We're trying to, for so many people, um, primarily, of course, you know, veganism is a, a philosophical position about the non-use and exploitation of animals. So they become our number one focus to start. And just imagine when we have a vegan world and we don't use and exploit animals Mm. or the environment and in turn of course people in that process what amazing things we could create and so there is a lot of work to do there certainly is no competition absolutely speaking of that lots of work to do (laughs) (laughs) so the term you coined not too long ago vistopia has really exploded all over the vegan social media and the internet in general so for our listeners that have yet to hear the word could you explain this a little bit and what it means Yes, a dystopia. It sounds a little like those words, like utopia and dystopia. Mm-hmm. And it came about really looking at those two positions. And, and I'll just explain what those two are. So dystopia will become a little more easy to understand. Now, when we talk about a utopia, we talk about an ideal place of joy and freedom, kindness and compassion, an idealized world of what, what is possible. And, and a number of existential and philosophical writers have written around there, people like Aldous Huxley. When we look at dystopia, and he similarly wrote and written about these things. Uh, a dystopia is a place of darkness and totalitarianism, competition, cruelty, abuse, and demonization of um, 
anything to do with that is good or kind. And so these are polar positions. And I came to realize that the vegan, when living in a non-vegan world, is suffering from an existential experience, not a pathological experience, is this absolute angst of living in a world that doesn't feel at all comfortable and is, is dystopian in nature. So I'll give you a definition of dystopia and then explain why I believe we are living in a dystopia. <laughs> Sorry, a dystopia. So dystopia is an existential experience that vegans face when they become aware of the systematized cruelty towards animals in our society through industry and everyday consumer use. And then when they try to tell the non-vegan of the extent of what is going on, they are met with a trance-like collusion with a dystopian world, i.e. a world that knowingly or unknowingly is colluding with the horrific abuse of animals. And so that experience, I say, is existential, i.e. it's about suddenly I woke up and my world is completely different. I'm here as an existent on the earth trying to make sense of what the world is. It's not a pathological position, i.e., that there is an abnormality about the experience of the vegan. In fact, if someone becomes aware of the systematized abuse of animals in the intensified industrial sort of you know, socioeconomic slavery we live in, then if they don't have these symptoms of distress, then we've really got a problem. I couldn't agree with that more. And, you know, I find something I just want to plug in really quickly before we go down the rabbit hole that one of another common things is sometimes a non-vegan will start to come up with ways in which veganism is at fault for also perhaps contributing to any kind of environmental degradation or killing of insects or things of that sort, like, you know, shipping coconut across the world or, um, I don't know, farming, killing insects. And that's something thing that kind of irks a vegan even more that this dystopia becomes even more apparent that it's all of a sudden nothing is perfect enough to fix anything ever and you have to have this perfect system in order to you know to present these points to non-vegans and it's like you start to go down this crazy path of well what am I even supposed to say and what am I supposed to do you know Yes, absolutely. And I think I always say to vegans, you know, that over your, your lifetime, as you grow, you will acquire information. And there's nothing more powerful than, than having some facts and figures to hand and to be able to eloquently communicate that. Mm -hmm. Because as we know, and every vegan will be testimony to this, if somebody asks you, you know, where do you get your protein? And I can't believe <laughs> people keep asking this, you know, and usually they roll their eyes and groan. But there's all sorts of other questions is... You know, like, for instance, well, plants have feelings, too. Or what would you do if you were on a desert island? You know, let's test the resolve of the vegan. Would they be tempted? You know, they almost put it to the extreme. And really, when we have a compassion for people, we realize that these, these are really defense mechanisms. They're trying to find holes in the system <laughs> mm -hmm. to try and say, look, this is it's not possible. And this is what we always do, et cetera, et cetera. Because when the trance is broken and the veil is lifted, the vegan knows how painful this is. And I think at some unconscious, intuitive level, the average person in the street knows that they are going along with an enormous collusion of um, freedom in the world, when in fact they're part of slavery in many ways, mm -hmm. emotional, ideological, and, and socioeconomic, actually. So I think... It's, there are two, one thing I say to vegans is 
hold the argument that it's you either believe it's okay to be superior or not. You either believe it's okay to be cruel or not. Start from that really strong position. And then within that, you can start to have your facts and figures. And firstly, when people throw things like that to you, you know, what about the insects or plants have feelings? Vegans feel they've got to defend themselves and have all the data to hand and look really eloquent. I say to people, you don't have to be the only person who brings your values to this conversation mm. is you always respond with a question what do you mean by that what, what do you know about farming what do you know about you know the degradation of the um, environment because often people are just throwing this stuff out and they don't have the information but they're they're trying to resist that emotional connection with a f the question, you either believe in cruelty and superiority or you don't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even if veganism isn't in and of itself perfect, what is? And so it's just being yeah. able to strive each day towards the betterment of humanity, to me, is valuable. Absolutely. And, I, and later in our conversation, um, I'd love to share with you a place that I believe is is in collaboration, but beyond veganism. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, I'd love to hear that. Absolutely. So what's your story that led to the coining of this term, Vistopia? Well, it's interesting. When I called myself a vegan psychologist, and I've been a vegan for about 10 years, but in fact, it was nearly 40 years ago that I stopped eating meat. And it's interesting, that, and I always say to people as vegans, you know, you, you have to deal with the angst and the conversations with people, um, because I wish I'd been told this years ago. I wish I had not, you know, not realized the horror of the dairy and the egg and fish industries, for instance. Mm -hmm. I gave up meat because I just read about what happened in an abattoir. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. Um, and in that moment, I was so horrified that humans could do this. It was an abattoir in Ireland. And... I gave up meat. So I'm very visual and I can actually that experience. So I carried on and as a vegetarian, I carried on in my life. Thank goodness I was allergic to dairy products. And um, so I had to take that out of my diet. That I had eczema. But I went along quite naturally. And then I became aware of the intensive industrial abuse of animals. I came aware of the intensive pig farming in Australia. And I can honestly say, having been a psychologist now for nearly getting on for 30 years, having worked in war-torn areas in the Middle East, having worked extensively in Israel and having worked in homicide in, in Sydney. When I found out about what happens to animals, I honestly did not know I could hurt that much. Mm. I was so ashamed of what we were doing, but also the sadness and the anger at people were colluding with this in a way that they didn't actually know what was going on. They had, you know, they were willing, witting, unwittingly colluding through their consumer choices with, with a horror story. And so for the next 10 years, um, I was a real witness to Vistopia, which I didn't even realize a word existed. <laughs> so, And then I realized over those years of my own experience of being constantly re-traumatized, but having the, the skills and and the self-development tools and, and support and love around me to navigate that and not become subject to post-traumatic stress disorder fully, um, I started to look at the conversations of other people and and realize that some of the struggles they have were these simplified responses to, well, to why are you vegan? People would say, well, I know you've always been a bit concerned about animals and you know, you've always been someone who worries about their diet and, and why are you so sensitive about this? 
people didn't really understand the vegan's plight. And the person said, well, it's not just about me liking animals. And they, they would try to explain not only the industrial abuse of animals, but they wanted, they talked, wanted to talk about water use, the um, environment, the ocean dead zones, the, the workers that are traumatized, and, and then it links to domestic violence, to the greed in our society, to corporate corruption, to the use of plastic bags. But in that conversation, when they were so emotional trying to, to explain the horror of the slaughterhouse, how could they possibly bring all this other stuff in? Mm. Uh, when the person is just very quickly batting all this stuff back, saying, leading them down different paths and in throwing information at them about, you know, what about people's jobs and, and this is how society is and, and different political views. And so I wanted, I realized that I needed to just make it an, an it, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was partly that. So people would have, in a nutshell, the encapsulated, it's a systematized awareness of the systematized abuse of animals and then the trance-like collusion of others with a dystopian world. And so there was partly that is exactly that's what it is. It, then it actually are. Ah, now we know what we're dealing with. Then our job is to actually have the eloquence and the way to point people in the direction. But there was also another reason is because veganism is growing. It's dramatic. I think it's the largest social justice movement on the planet. It, just the sheer wave of um, awareness that is happening. Mm. That is a better way to treat animals, the environment and the planet. That. I was starting to get referrals from doctors um, saying, could you see this person, they have an eating disorder? Could you see this person, they're, they've got a, they're self-harming themselves? And the person would come to see me, um, and you can imagine their delight when they found out I was a vegan, because they literally gone to the, the doctor and said, I, I can't eat what my family eat anymore. Mm. And I feel physically sick and I'm retching when I see the family barbecue. And, and the doctor said, well, this person has an eating disorder. And ignoring the fact that the individuals try to explain, well, you know, we're all colluding with this and I need to tell you about it as well. And then the doctor might sort of resist and whatever. But doctors were also referring people to me with saying that they were self-harming themselves. And when the individual came to see me, they were people that were working, say, undercover in um, factory farms, or mm. they were part of the SAVE movement and bearing witness to what was happening outside slaughterhouses. And these individuals were so traumatized by this and felt guilty for their non-vegan activity before they realized that they were watching every video and documentary about animal abuse. And the doctor was saying, well, because you can't stop this, you are showing self-harming tendencies. If you're not cutting yourself, you are doing this. And I started to realize that if I didn't get in there quickly, the medical profession was going to pathologize the vegan's plight mm. and give a word to it, which then would be associated with some medication so that we can sort of stamp out this reaction of the vegan and, and bring them back into normality. And I realized that I realized as a, an individual there that if they were going to do that, then whether they might as well put me on medication because mm -hmm. I was a telling witness to this. And I realized it was an existential experience. And existentialism is, is about what it is to exist in the world and make sense of the world. And I also trained in the UK for four years as an existential therapist. So I had a language and a background against this philosophy. And so two reasons really is number one, we need to be able to quickly explain the complexity and extent of our anguish mm. and also really coming up first to avoid pathologization of the condition.
Wow. You've been on a mission. <laughs> yeah. And I like how you've taken all your years experience and kind of married it into what you're doing now. I think it's, I think that's fantastic. And the vegan community needs this so badly, so badly. Yes. Well, it's interesting because I um, run a business called Communicate 31 and teaching people to have the conversations that matter 31 days a month. And, and that could be in-house trainings. And I have a leadership and communication program, which I run in a big hotel. I've been running it for years. Um, it's not vegan. It attracts vegans increasingly. And it certainly is vegan fair, of course. And I tease in these issues around expanding, <laughs> expanding empathy. But, you know, the imperative for change is so great that I've, I've decided to move away from that and not do that anymore but take all those teachings that I've, I've run for six years with all the modules and I'm turning it into an online program at a, a real cost that is so cost effective for vegans around the world so that they can learn how to be great, great communicators and leaders and collaborators um, and so it's the hunger as you know when you really need to be doing this work we really need to come to the table and there's no time to be lost Absolutely. Yes. So uh, let me ask you this. So in what way do you find Vistopia inhibiting the effectiveness of activism or vegan advocacy at the moment? Well, Vistopia is, is a real anguish and not only emotionally and psychologically, but people's health suffers. They feel in a state of agitation or anxiety. They often there's not great levels of self-care. There's post-traumatic stress disorder um, symptoms. And I say to vegans, you've really got to put your own oxygen mask on first because you cannot be the best advocate for change when you're in a deep mm -hmm. state of trauma. And so it's stopping people becoming the best they can be. And when they're not able to look after themselves, they're not able to be wonderful communicators. They want to attack the world. They become misanthropists and they hate people. And they're not really helping animals there. But they also can't become great communicators and connect and engage with other people so that people say, hey, tell me more. And also take them on a journey through their conversations so that then the, the non-vegan becomes aware of this. They're able to help that person with their dystopia. So it does keep people locked in a, a state of um, horror, really, where they're not able to be an instrument for change. So that is something that really needs to change. And people... And the great courses that you're doing, for instance, take away part of a wellness program. We need more of these so that people can get their own house in order <laughs> and have lots of strategies and tools to to overcome and manage that on a daily basis and then match it with exquisite communication skills. Absolutely. You know, that's exactly why we came into what we do, because we were suffering from these same symptoms, although you hadn't coined that term just yet. And we were noticing how ineffective um, I guess our personal truth was in that state of being, but because we'd already had a strong personal development path and a strong spiritual path, we had just decided to deepen it. And we'd recognize that with that holistic approach of being able to really fix what you want fixed in the world first within yourself and reaching that, you know, state of balance, connecting with your innate wisdom and treating your body right, just as well as your mind and your heart and your spirit, all of that just like, amplified the vegan truth but also every aspect of our lives and so we are huge proponents of the take care of yourself first and everything else will follow because you'll be strong in that path absolutely and and if we take this systemic view of that we're all connected 
and everything we think, do, feel, experience, we're little microcosms, little fractals of a bigger reality. And so how we have it to be is how we would have it for the world. And I say to vegans, you know, we are reaching a tipping point. You know, we are part of a system We're starting to see veganism come, come all over the place. And it's not that everyone's heard about it, heard about the arguments and become vegan. It's gone into the ether. It's in the collective unconscious. And so, you know, you have looked at your work and, and I'm so admire everything you do is it is part of a spiritual raising of consciousness on this planet. And the more we resonate with that holistic approach that, you know, we've come into this time in our history, we have to step up to the game to play our part in, in raising consciousness and ushering in this compassionate world. So you know, I say to people, sometimes the best thing you can do is take the day off, nurture yourself, go for a swim, <laughs> you know, have a whole food plant-based diet and resource yourself and then realize that we've got to be here for the next decades and we're going to see some massive change in the next two, three, five, ten years. And we'll just reach a tipping point. And, you know, most people follow. They're in a trance already. Let's let's get them into a conscious one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the shift is definitely happening. And, I mean, it's really easy to see, too, as, as we've mentioned, some of the, you know, the veganism is skyrocketing. I mean, it's been 600% in three years. So, and it's only going to increase. So as we continue to elevate the collective consciousness in this way, it's just going to explode and uh, we'll end up having this really compassionate, connected global community of vegans. Well, the, I think the beautiful thing about veganism is that it is it doesn't just stop with the animals. You know, there's so many things that are, we concern ourselves with in regard to this, and human rights is one of them. So there are a lot of vegans I know that are very active in other social justice movements because of the sheer fact that they don't want any exploitation of anyone, not just animals or the slaughterhouse workers, but women's rights, you know, all kinds of things and I think it's really inspirational to see when veganism border or cross crosses over those other sorts of justice movements as well I I totally agree with you I we're all part of the same thing I, I say to people that you know you're you're working with children in an orphanage you're you're looking at environmental issues you're you're trying to work with whales you're working with women who are being battered in, in the domestic situation it's actually all the same thing we're trying to raise consciousness and it's about expanding awareness and compassion beyond the thing we are interested in. One thing I think upsets so many vegans is when they come across feminists who are vegan <laughs> and they say there's such a direct connection between the hijacking of the female reproductive system, which feminists, male and female, talk about and they get, can't see it towards dairy calves, for instance, mm -hmm. cows and calves. And but vegans, too, often need to expand their level of awareness to embrace the human condition. It's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I was, I'm recently involved in the Cube, you, you probably know about the Anonymous for the Voiceless movement. Yes, yes. definitely. And, I mean, that's a fabulous movement working all over. In fact, I've done an article in the Australian Vegan magazine recently talking about why I believe that street activism with the masks is so powerful from an existential perspective. And I can give you that link later. And But often, Hubers, so to speak, the people on the street holding up the factory farming video is they are people often say, well, what about humans? They're suffering, too. 
And I think one of the best responses when we say, you're absolutely right. And one of the best things we can do for people is, and then to explain that whole process. And for, for vegans, I say, to expand their consciousness, to embrace and be compassionate towards the limitations of other humans who have been subject to this trance-like collusion. Mm-hmm. They've been in slavery themselves. When we all look back and say, I wish I knew a long time ago what I know now. Mm, so well said. So yes. well said. So what is your vision for the future of the vegan community? I have a vision of a vegan world. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yep, a compassionate, kind, supportive and collaborative world that says, you know, what are we here for? You know, we're here to, I believe, be in the, to actually have joy and, and experience living in a physical world, condition and a physical body. And yet there's so much struggle and fight and, and we give in so easily to um, our existing time in history and, and society. Is It is a world in which people come together and each be creative and innovative and kind and supportive and truly collaborate. And collaborative leadership, something I've been talking about for a long time, we don't see a lot of collaboration. We see the word. We see really participation where someone says, hey, I've got a great idea. I'll just listen to you, get a bit involved, maybe adapt things. True collaboration says, you know, that's roughly where our sort of we're going. There's a, there's a compass going in this direction, this great new world. Um, but if we come together, the whole will be better than the sum of the parts. And it's only by you know, bringing us all together to do this. But so my vision is of a vegan world is so that there's expansive way for us to live compassionately and kindly as a people, planet and, and animals. But I think there's a place beyond veganism and or is a place hand in hand with veganism mm-hmm. because, you know, the exploitation of people, animal and planet happen because we have an economic system set up which enslaves people. Now, I've thought about this for a long time, and, and often people, when people even embrace the possibility of living in a world without money, they think about socialism or communism or a commune, and they say, oh, this doesn't work. Um, I've come across a movement, which is called the Ubuntu movement, by a South African scholar called um, Mike called Michael Tellinger. Mm-hmm. His book is called Ubuntu. And I, I was aware of what Ubuntu was when I worked in Africa many years ago. Ubuntu is a, uh, a black African concept, which is, well, if it's not good for everybody, everyone being Mother Earth as well, then it's not, if it's not good for all, it's not good for any of us and we won't do it. And that's why when actually capitalism started going to Africa, I, I was part of a, a system of um, a university process of t- you know, selling degrees and, and certificates and diplomas. And the black students were saying, we don't want to be part of this because mm-hmm. we've, you know, we've been under oppression for so long. The last thing we want to do is compete. And also I wasn't selling them courses per se. I was a lecturer in facilitating the, the integration of the new online systems. And they said, well, we want to collaborate. We, if it's not good for all of us, why would we want to, to do this? So I knew what Ubuntu was, but Michael Tellinger talks about creating a world without money, which is called contributionism. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most exciting things I've seen for a long time because I couldn't even try to explain it. I, I'm, I encourage you to go and look at his work because 
he talks about the absolute way in which we've been duped about the real value of, and role of money. We tend to think it's actually a medium of exchange that was brought into place so that we wouldn't have to, you know, exchange bales of um, hay or wheat or something for mm-hmm. a bag of oranges. But it wasn't. He says, when you go back to the Sumerian tablets, it was deliberately created as a tool of slavery. And it certainly is. People are either in poverty and they're scrabbling around worrying whether they can put a roof over their head or they have so much money they're afraid of losing it and they don't know who their friends are. Mm. And they have existential crises of, well, what the hell is this all for? Um, I encourage us to look at this whole thing about contributionism because for many vegans, they resist capitalism and they resist all the the senses of greed or you or exploitation that goes with that because it's only through wanting to acquire more and more wealth that industries are are abusing animals people and planet if Mm. we didn't have that and we had we truly embraced abundance and we would be able to be creative and to be live in harmony so it's not only it's a pollyanna view of the human condition i think we have this potential very much so i think it's really where our our heart starts and, and needs to return to. But of course, a lot of vegans reject that. And then they say, well, I can't put a roof over my head. And, and many of them are living in poverty. And so imagine we took away the need for them to put a roof over their head, or that could be sorted very quickly. Imagine all their food could be grown. So they've got their food bill covered. They've got all their utilities covered because they're part of a sustainable you know, environmental off the grid way of living and their houses are built because people have collaborated and co-contributed and put this to place. Then and then they contribute of the, they they contribute their love, as um, Michael Tellinger says. Um, and this isn't just a theory. Um, he has communities all over the world in the US, in, in, in Australia and, and, and in and Europe of people that are transitioning out of the economic system to become totally self-sufficient. To give you an example, and I'd encourage you to look at his work for greater detail, is he says, you know, the reason people want three Maseratis, if indeed they do, <laughs> is they don't need them. If you take away money, nobody would want three Maseratis because the only reason someone would want that or five of them sitting in the garage is to prove to the next person they can afford them. Mm. And when you take money out of the equation and our needs are met, yes, you can still have a Maserati. I personally don't want one, but I can still look at one and say it's a, it might be an a, a engineering feat. Um, people don't want three watches. People don't want lots of computers. They don't want the state-of-the-art stuff um, because they're not having to show it's an absolute tool of separation. So I encourage us to look at that. Imagine we could live in a world without that socioeconomic slavery that was compassionate and kind to people, environment, and animals. That's the world I want to create, and I hold that vision for us. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I'm glad you took the the conversation in this direction, and we're actually familiar with his work, and I encourage the listeners to definitely take a look at that. I know, as you mentioned, there are communities around the world that are living by these examples, um, and one that comes to mind was that place in India. What was that place called, Sarah? Oh, I can't remember the name of it. We'll I'm sure it, you're familiar with it, but it's... It's, um, it's not necessarily one of Michael's communities, but it's a concept similar to that fact of contribution and contributing to cover, um, you know, the basic needs of everyone involved. And, you know, they've had their struggles as they've tried to grow in a system that unfortunately does not, you know, make it easy. But 
these communities popping up all over the world, particularly Michael's um, approach and things of that sort, it leads us to believe that this utopia is not just a pipe dream. This is something real that people want to work towards. And the more we speak up, speak out, unite, the easier and quicker this can happen. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you've read his work because it's so fresh and new. And it's, um, I love to get him out to Australia, actually, and, um, and also expand his consciousness a little bit further to embrace veganism. Ah, there you go. I, think, I like that. I don't think that that's impossible. <laughs> so you're working on a book, perhaps you're already done and we haven't gotten the update. But when will your book, Vistopia, The Anguish of Being a Vegan in a Non-Vegan World, be released? We're looking really at the beginning of April, and the book is um, well on its way, and it's called uh, Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World. And that will be the beginning of April, and I'm looking to do an online, possibly live stream launch with different parts of the world, so people around the world can collaborate and enjoy this and share it with people. That's so exciting. I like that idea a lot. I'm excited to read it, definitely. When I read the title of it, I was like, ooh, this, is, this needs to be in our library. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, really the book will be ready probably by the end of January, but it needs to be with reviewers, of course, and it's in the process of editing. Um, and then I need to to obviously work towards, you know, building it to, so that people can know about it and mm. uh, and share it. And, and the way I've been writing it is – is the first chapter very much, and I only mention veganism right at the end of that chapter, is to use creative ways to get people to understand other forms of trance and actually how people like whistleblowing and, 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 and on security issues and, and Edward Snowden and numerous other things where people are become aware of something. Someone speaks out about something and they're quickly silenced. Mm. And I tr- wake up people to that and then I use certain analogies. And then I so that chapter is going to be for the non-vegan. It's so that the vegan can mm. actually say, hey, mum, hey, doctor, hey, mm-hmm. priest, hey, whoever. And this is what this... Um, dystopia is about and I'm the whistleblower and veganism has you know I've become aware of this and I'm trying to tell you about the extent of it read that chapter and then we can have a conversation and then the rest of the book is going deeper on different issues to get the uh, vegan to be really astute and wise to be able to see the extent of it and to go back into those conversations but they're not trying to hold this massive interconnected um, trance-like collusion with a dystopian world in their in their arms so that they've got to be very eloquent they say read that then you you know you'll get something about what this is about then we can start to have the conversations very creative approach. I, I really like that That's a lot. Brilliant. I love it. I can't wait to read the book. And so where can our listeners follow you and keep up with you? Yes, well, um, my main website on, about this, of course, is Vegan Psychologist, uh, veganpsychologist.com. I also have tools and techniques. We have a 30-day free video program which is on an app called Vegan Voices, 30 days of short videos on how to talk about veganism and then resources that people can forward by social media to advise people about veganism. And then resources can be put on there. If you as vegans find that you've got tools and techniques or this great article or video that helps someone become vegan, 
um, you can actually load it onto the Vegan Voices website. So that's vegan dot, sorry, vegan-voices.com. But if you go to veganpsychologist.com, all those little links are there. And then, of course, on social media, um, I'm on Facebook as um, Vegan Psychologist. And if you search for Claire Mann, you'll probably find me too. <laughs> wow, that's Perfect. so exciting. So wonderful. You know, you're helping so many people within the vegan community and helping them help others to become vegan. And that is so important. Thank you. Well, do you know, there are also a lot of vegans that say, well, I try to talk to my parents or my boss and the individual then resists it saying, oh, it's to do with a load of hippies. And mm-hmm. so another resource I have for people that perhaps want to give it to their father or their mother who, um, or their CEO is actually increasingly it's shifting in this direction. But I've done it very subtly to start, but it's going to have far more veganism in now is a free digital business magazine called Ethical Futures Conversations That Matter. Mm. And oh, I think the last two people have been vegan um, actually have contributed to that. But that is a digital business magazine that champions initiatives or individuals who are profitable and successful without abusing people, the environment or animals. So they may be pushing this in the right direction, but that could also be a tool, particularly as it's now going to change and how far more. We have uh, Dr. Michael Clapper, who has recently been interviewed. He's going to be um, showcased in, in the next one. And we'll do a whole thing on health and plant-based living. But that might be the tool for vegans who are finding the resistance of people that say, well, where's the business angle? Where's the economic angle to this? And that could be a tool too. And that's ethicalfuturesmag.com. Love it. That's great. That is awesome. Well, Claire, we have really enjoyed this conversation with you. And I'm just so excited for the future and for possible collaborations. You never know what the world or the future can hold. We have dreams of like vegan festivals that are, you know, focused on the enrichment of the vegan lifestyle to help people become more whole and complete and passionate about spreading that message and just living a purposeful life in whichever way that means to them. So fabulous. I am. Um, I, and I think I would love to collaborate with you and, and also champion what you, you're doing. So and she, when I came across you, of course, as well, it was just so exciting because it's this very broad way in which you're taking the whole person and uh, and giving them tools and techniques and the experience um, of the joy of being vegan. It's not just moving away from the anguish. Let's move to this vision of the future mm. of what we want to create. And the more we live it now, we, you know, we bring to us what we want by acting as if we already are it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your beautiful words, Claire. We look forward to connecting in the future. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Thank you very much great to have claire on that was super inspirational i'm excited to create this utopia let's do it we can do it guys like we gotta stop getting in our own way that's right and you know i think with getting in your own way comes that frustration that Mm -hmm. overwhelming feelings everything that claire described as Mm -hmm. vistopia Yeah, it can get extremely overwhelming. And so we need good tactics to help bring us back down to earth, bring us back connected to self. Exactly. And besides what Claire is doing and all the wonderful things she's bringing to the table, um, as we mentioned, we have our nine-step method to combat a lot of this. But all that aside, we can talk about one simple thing. That you can do now. And this is your health tip. Yes. The breath. Okay. So... How often do we go throughout our days and we're doing so many things and we forget to breathe? 
sure we do it automatically. Our bodies do it for ourselves and that's always great because it means we're still alive. But how many times do we go about our day and consciously breathe, especially when we get in those heated arguments with people about maybe veganism or anything else that you're passionate about, you get heated and your breath gets short and you start to get stressed out. You get tense. You're cutting off oxygenation from your body. Exactly. So what can we do? We can do simple breathing techniques. One of my favorite ones to do, well, there's many of them that I have, so it's so hard to choose from, but one of my favorites is just the simple 478 method. And this method is so simple. All you do is you breathe in for a count of four, you hold for a count of seven, and you breathe out for a count of eight. Breathe out through your mouth. Yes. So this method, if you do it a few times, you'll automatically see the stress just melt away. Now we do all different types of breathing. We get into breath of fire, which is Kundalini method. We get into the Wim Hof method, which is so much fun, but also you need to take precaution doing these methods of breathing. They can be quite intense, but if you want to learn more about breath work, we have a podcast episode for you. Episode 12 with Kathleen Booker. It's back in the old ones. It was. I don't know. I'm kind of scared to listen to that. (laughs) We've grown, guys. We've grown. So excuse us if in episode 12, one of our oldies, we might not be as podcast friendly. (laughs) But Kathleen's a breath coach and we have an episode with her called The Power of Breath. But there's a lot of other stuff out there you can research. But yes, simple In through your nose, hold, out through your mouth. Yep, four, seven, eight. So that is a fun little health tip for the episode. And we got some good ones coming up as usual. So stay tuned for that. And we will see you guys on the flip side. Hope to catch you in the Vegan Warrior community with us for the challenge in February. Yes, see you guys there.
Do you hear that delicious sound? No, it's not the freshly fried patty of the crispy McChicken sandwich. Well, actually it is. But it's also the sound of a debt being paid. Because this golden crisp chicken could be the very first meal you treat your parents to. Yes, parental payback is now available in many delicious McDonald's deals. Like buy one, get one for a dollar. Every day at McDonald's, mix and match a new hot and spicy McChicken with classics like a McDouble, McChicken, or four-piece chicken McNuggets. Price and participation may vary. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.